the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. We resume our conversation with Jonathan Tobin, noted columnist about all things Israel. We'll get a lot of questions answered. That is next. It's time for the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Well, we were talking with Jonathan Tobin yesterday and we just couldn't stop because there's so much knowledge to be gained in this conversation. So we welcome you to the second part of our conversation with Jonathan Tobin, again, uh, just a noted writer on all things Israel, all things. Uh, He's going to share that wealth of knowledge with us and perspective. That's coming up next. But first, are you one of the millions of Americans who suffers from premature hair loss? Is your hair getting thinner? Is it because of stress? Or are you thinking, ah, this thing runs in my family. I can't help it. Well, you can help it. And that's with Provia Hair. And this is a real solution that delivers on its promise without the harsh side effects, without the unwanted chemicals, without those odors that you really don't want. And this comes to us thanks to our friends at Genucel Skincare, whom I love. Provia uses a safe natural ingredient called Procapil. And this effectively targets the three main causes of premature hair thinning and loss. It supports healthy scalp circulation, delivers nourishing nutrients, and it promotes healthy hair follicle anchoring to your scalp. And by doing those three things, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in your shower or in your comb. You know what I'm talking about. This is effective for men and women of any age. It's safe on colored hair, treated hair, styled hair. It's just that simple. And right now, new customers save over 50% off Provia's introductory package at proviahair.com slash Michelle. Every package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use, plus Provia 30 super concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Provia works. It's guaranteed or 100% of your money back. What have you got to lose? See results for yourself right now. Don't wait. Proviahair.com slash Michelle. It's P-R-O-V-I-A, hair, all one term, dot com slash Michelle with one L, proviahair.com slash M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Jonathan Tobin, part two, is right now. Jonathan, let's talk about this idea. Almost immediately after the attacks happened, I received a text from my son who's in high school. And he said, is Israel an apartheid state? And clearly he had heard that somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And I immediately said, no, no, no. And I started to send him some information. How is this? Clearly, this is another form of propaganda. But how would you describe to people in international terms why Israel is not legally an apartheid state? Well, you know that that you know there there are some just things that are just big lies, um, and it's a useful smear because what is worse than a racist state? Um, right. You know, it's it's the most useful you know bad thing you can say about anybody or any entity, but it's completely false. You know, an apar- apartheid state is a place where there is official racial discrimination where you know there one people rule another where the other you know and the and the people that are ruled have no rights 
Israel, you know, and, and apartheid South Africa was, you know, a country with about 90 percent, you know, black people that was ruled by 10 percent white people where the black people couldn't vote, you know, you know, couldn't vote and had no equality before the law, you know, couldn't serve in, you know, in their par- parliament, all that, you know. And Israel, number one, is a majority Jewish country. And the Arab, you know, minority, the Muslim minority has full rights within Israel. Everybody has the right to vote. There are, you know, Muslim Arab parties in, in Israel's parliament in, in Knesset whose, whose stated goal is destroying Israel, I might add, who, you know, one, one of whose rep, one of those parties actually served in a previous government. Show you how crazy democracy can be. Um, Israel has complete, you know, has equality before the law, which isn't to say that everything is perfect. Being a racial, ethnic, religious minority in a country always has its challenges. But Israel is a country where there is no apartheid. There's nothing like apartheid in in the territories in Judean, you know. And let's now talk about outside of internationally recognized Israel. Gaza is not occupied. Gaza, as I said before, is an independent Palestinian state in all but name. Israel withdrew every settler, settlement and soldier from Gaza in 2005. You know, Israel's a no, you know, Gaza is a no-go zone for for Israel, you know, and it treats, it is more or less sovereign. Um, Inside the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, um, the Arabs who live there, you know, are ruled autonomously by the Palestinian Authority. They have you know, control over local areas. Israel has security control. So that's an anomalous situation. Um, why don't they have the right to vote in Israel? Because they don't want to be part of Israel. And Israel doesn't necessarily want them to be part of Israel either. You know, they want their own thing. And it's anomalous because they don't want a two-state solution. They keep with their leaders, their parties, whether it's, you know, the more moderate Fatah, um, they they won't recognize Israel. You know, they have security cooperation with Israel. And that's largely to keep Abbas alive from Hamas assassins. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's kind of a kleptocracy. It's a very corrupt government. And, you know, there's a lot of misrule. But, you know, it's an anomalous situation because they have chosen not to become sovereign. They've chosen not to become a state alongside Israel because they don't want to recognize Israel and say that the war is over. So that's, you know, that's, in some ways, a shame, and it creates problems. Um, and it's a, it's a situation that for the last 50 years, people keep saying, well, it can't continue, except it does continue. Um, and um, because the Palestinians don't want another solution or aren't willing to take the steps to, you know, as I say, end the war that would enable them to have a different solution. But that's not apartheid. It's nothing like apartheid. And the mere, you know, the mere act of calling Israel apartheid, which is a smear that, you know, if I can, you know, you want to dig deeper, that was sort of, that's Soviet era propaganda. (laughs) You know, that's how far it dates back. The idea that Zionism, the national liberation movement of the Jewish people is racism. These are Soviet smears adopted by sort of, you know, the, you know, Arafat and other people who had been trained in Moscow. And that's not conspiratorial theory. That's actually where it started. Um, it's just a way to delegitimize the one Jewish state on this planet. Now, I want to make this very clear. Um, if you are willing to deny to Jews that which you are not willing to even consider denying to anybody else, which is to say the right to live in your own country, the right to defend yourself, um, then you are discriminating against Jews. 
there is no other country in the world where there's an international movement to abolish it, to, to, to make it go away, to, to extinguish it. Only Israel, only the Jewish state. Now, if you're discriminating against the Jewish people in that way, there's only one word for it. It's anti-Semitism. It doesn't mean that Israel is perfect. It doesn't mean the criticism of Israel is, is anti-Semitic. Let me tell you, just like 330 million Americans get up every day and criticize their government, yeah. you know, 8 million Jews get up in Israel every day and criticize their government. And believe me, in the last 10 days, there's been a lot of criticism of the government. But that doesn't mean, but that doesn't mean that state, that government has no right to exist. If right. you are saying Israel has no right to exist, which is what Hamas says, which is what the people demonstrating for Hamas are saying, then you are not criticizing Israel. You are being an anti-Semite. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, I heard a woman named Noah Tisby. She's an actress and activist from, mm -hmm. from Israel. And, and this morning I heard her say, right now it's Israel. If they were able to conquer and wipe Israel off the face of the earth, Every other non-Muslim religion would be next. You know, we hear the chants, death to Israel, death to the United States. We see the burning of our flags over there and, and even here. Uh, so it's not just Israel they hate, correct? Oh, absolutely. And let's remind ourselves, who helped finance, you know, last week's atrocity? Who helped planned it? Who is the financial supporter and, you know, diplomatic uh, supporter of Hamas, as well as Hezbollah and Lebanon? Iran. Right. Iran is the we leading. We had to get to this, yes. Yeah. Iran is the leading state sponsor of terror in the world, period, full stop. Yeah. Iran is interested in killing Americans, killing the West, waging this, you know, sort of jihadist crusade, if I can, you know, mix metaphors there against the West, they consider Israel the little Satan, America the great Satan. If you're going to let them and their, you know, their, their, the criminals that work for them, Hamas, if when, if, if when all this is over, when the dust settles and the firing stops, may it be soon, mm -hmm. if when that happens, Hamas is still standing, empowering Gaza, which is what those who are calling for an immediate ceasefire are basically demanding. They're saying there should be no accountability. You know, if they get away with this, uh, then, you know, it's a, it's a green light to terrorism against anybody. And let's remember something. When we were attacked on 9-11, you know, this great trauma, you know, I, I know it was a long time ago and, you know, you have a child in high school, have a child in college, you know, <laughs> it's, it's ancient history to them. It, you know, they don't remember it, but we remember it. 
And after 9-11, what did America do? Would we have listened to anybody calling for a ceasefire with Al-Qaeda? Uh-uh. That that was not on the table. What did we do? We went to the other side of the world to take out and destroy the Al-Qaeda bases in Afghanistan. Well, you know what? The moral equivalent for Israel, and, and, you know, and what happened last week was like 9-11 for Israel, um, is that those, those bases, the, the source of, of this terrorism, of the source of these horrible crimes, is right next door. And those who are calling for a ceasefire, those who are demanding that Israel be proportionate, those who are demanding that Israel not you know, go in and take out Hamas, they are basically saying that Israel's 9/11 should be allowed to stand. That's 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 you know that is immoral. Yeah, you know it's yeah. not moral; it's immoral, and it's you know not and goes beyond being deeply unfair. Um, if you, but it also doesn't recognize that this is a threat to everyone. And you know, and I want to you know take if I can just take a moment to take a deep dive into something that happened in the last couple of days to show you how crazy this situation is. We know right now that there are about 200 hostages, people who were kidnapped and taken into Gaza. God knows their condition. God knows what's going on with them. Many of them are babies. Um, you know, people, and, and I don't, I don't only want to speculate what's happening to them. It's too horrible to think about. But 14 of them that we know of are American citizens. Now, as much as Biden's statements have been exemplary, and I praise them highly, unreservedly, Behind the scenes, the United States has been calling on Israel to open up a humanitarian corridor to allow basically the resupply of of Hamas-controlled territory, turn on the electricity. Imagine if we were talking about a hostage situation in this country, you know, my hometown, your hometown, and the hostage takers are holed up somewhere in, in an apartment, and the SWAT team surrounds them, and the negotiator goes to the door and says, you know, and, and, the, and the hostage taker says, you turned off my electricity. Turn it back on. And what would the negotiator say? Well, okay, maybe, but, you know, give us one of the hostages. Yeah. Well, the United States didn't even call for the release, you know, didn't even demand the release of the Americans, let alone anybody else, in order for the electricity to be turned on inside the terrorist enclave. Right. That's how insane that's that's how what a tremendous double standard we're operating under here with respect to Israel. And that should not be allowed to stand. We sh- you know, decent people should oppose that wherever they can. Yeah, it, it certainly makes you question the decency of people. Let's let's pull back a little further again. You mentioned Iran. And, and we can't not, uh, as you said, they are the greatest state sponsor of terror in the world. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. We've got Russia and Ukraine. We've got China threatening Taiwan. We've got Iran backing Hamas and who knows who else. Um, let, let's. I, I want to drill down on this this hostage swap that took place in which the United States unfroze six billion of assets, uh, moved them from South Korea to Qatar. It's not as though Qatar is an enemy of Hamas. Qatar actually houses some mm-hmm. uh, Hamas leaders. So. If those who say, oh, not a dollar's been spent, we're watching that money very closely. Yeah, the the fungible money thing is is a ridiculous um, compare. You know, it's it's not a realistic application of the word fungible. 
all of that, the timing of all of this is curious to me. And, and also we've got to remember that relations between the Arabs and Israel were starting to normalize. Iran did not want that, correct? So what do you make of all these puzzle pieces and the timing of this? Well, um, you're right to put it in this perspective. Um, first, yes, the Arab states um, have uh, come to the realization um, that Israel isn't their enemy. They have no nothing to gain from a war on Israel. And in fact, a lot, a lot to gain from being allied with Israel. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia, the other Gulf states, uh, they look, you know, and, and they look in their region. Who, who are they afraid of? They're not afraid of Israel. Israel has no designs on, on them. They're afraid of Iran, you know, and so they have allied themselves openly in some cases under the table and others, and they've been moving, moving closer and closer with Israel. And part of that is the dynamic where they are no longer willing to be held hostage uh, by the Palestinians and their intransigence and the refusal to make peace. They're supportive of the Palestinian people, but, you know, their message to the Palestinian leadership is if you're not going to make peace with Israel, well, we are, you know, it's like, if you want to join in the peacemaking, go right ahead. But we're not, we're not boycotting Israel. We're not involved in a war against Israel just because on your say so, you know, 20 odd years ago, if you'd asked me, what is the country in the Middle East that is most hostile to Israel, the source of hate for Jews, I'd have said Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, indeed, you know, that's where the 9-11 hijackers had their origins. But now Saudi Arabia wants nothing to do with that. Saudi Arabia, you know, is embracing Israel. And Hamas and Iran want to stop that. Now, the problem with American foreign policy is that, um, you know, the uh, Obama uh, administration alumni club that is back running our foreign policy since January 2021 is committed to a concept of foreign policy whereby the United States has a rapprochement with Iran. They want to reorient American foreign policy away from traditional allies and towards sort of a a sort of Shia crescent and sort of to normalize, to integrate Iran into the region. Why? Because they have this misconception of President Obama uh, famously said that he wanted to give Iran a chance to get right with the world. You know, he wanted to end all this conflict, withdraw from the region, no longer be confrontational with Iran and just sort of, you know, make peace with them because that's the easiest thing to do. Well, Iran doesn't want to get right with the world. Iran wants to be at war with the world. And that's why the Iran nuclear deal, which enriched and empowered Iran, didn't do anything. It didn't help. And it also actually guaranteed that Iran would eventually get a bomb. So then when Biden wanted to re-up the nuclear deal after Trump had rightly gotten rid of it because sooner or later some American president was going to have to notice that that, you know, that that deal expired and that was going to be a legal path to a bomb for Iran. But it turns out the Iranians weren't that interested in doing deals with the United States anymore because they'd gotten so strong. And for the last three years, Biden's people have been running after the Iranians, trying to make deals with them. This, this hostage deal where we transferred $6 billion in frozen funds. And there was another $10 billion, uh, you know, in, in, you know from, there was another $10 billion deal that didn't get as much notice. Um, this all strengthened Iran. It sent a message to the region that the Americans aren't serious. They don't really oppose them. Um, you know, say what you will about Donald Trump, and we could say many critical things. And, you know, even in the last 10 days, he said a lot of crazy things about Israel in this particular, uh, you know, trouble. But, he was very good 
at sending messages to rogue nations like Iran to back off and back down. And um, unfortunately, President Biden, you know, he's very good at empathy. He's very good at sort of the emotional solidarity speeches, as we saw this this morning. And I, you know, I'm not criticizing. I say it's great, but he's not good at sending those kinds of messages. So we have a situation where Iran is has been flexing its muscles. It's seeking regional hegemony. You know, it, it Obama let them take over Syria. Obama pulled out of Iraq and let them basically control Iraq. Um, you know, they are more dangerous, more powerful, and frankly, richer than they've ever been before. And it gave them the opportunity to use, you know, their Hamas terrorist allies to try to blow up the Israel-Saudi, you know, negotiations. That actually works. Saudi, the Saudis aren't going to do a deal with Israel while, while the guns are firing. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, Biden helped create this mess. And the way to get out of this mess is by, you know, he's got to channel a little of Trump and say, you know what, we're not going to put up with you anymore. And actually, the really productive thing that this administration could do right now to help make this situation a little less, you know, dangerous is to be sending messages to Iran, stay out, back down, tell your, your, your you know, your employees in, in Lebanon, Hezbollah, which runs that country, and mm-hmm. it, which means that Iran runs that country. Um, don't fire, stay out of this. Let Israel do whatever it does. You're not going to save Hamas. We're not going to let you save Hamas. And, you know, that really goes against the grain for this administration because, you know, they're they're in love with multilateralism. They're in love with the UN. They're in love with all the things that allow um, rogue nations like, you know, Iran and, you know, uh, terrorist organizations like Hamas to get away with crimes. And it makes them very ill-suited to deal with a situation where, Everything's gotten out of control. And the only answer, the only path to sanity here is for the United States to flash the green light to Israel, to let them do what they have to do, what the Israeli people are demanding, which is to say Hamas rule in Gaza must end. The terrorist threat, the terrorist camp, the terrorist enclave must be destroyed no matter what. You know, Israel actually tried coexistence with Hamas for 16 years. That was, you know, and that's one of the reasons why Netanyahu is in deep political trouble, although his political opponents didn't really disagree with him while, for, for all these years, is that, you know, his policy was, you stay on your side of the fence, we'll stay on ours. You shoot at us, we'll shoot back at you and try to get those missile launchers. But we don't want to go in and disturb you. You can rule Gaza, do whatever you want, just leave us alone. That didn't work. That kind of policy never works in the long run. Well, so I guess let's look ahead here then. I I keep wondering, let's say you destroy Hamas, whatever that means, whatever. And I wondered what that does mean, because it seems to me um, you got to chop the snake's head off. But does that does that really end it? Because you still got Hezbollah, as you've mentioned. Where, Where does this where do we where are we going if even if 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 they are able to destroy Hamas and how realistic is that let's start there how realistic is it to completely destroy Hamas well um these are all really good questions to which no one has completely definitive answers so let's not pretend that there are completely definitive answers to 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 things that have not yet been resolved but is it possible to take out Hamas completely to extinguish its rule to root out it's military infrastructure in Gaza. Of course it is. You know, they're, they're not supermen. They don't have superpowers. It's a small place. If Israel is given the freedom of action to go in and take them out, 
they will take them out. It will be costly. It will be messy. And there will be a hue and cry and, you know, in the liberal media about all the terrible things, how terrible it is, you know. But if you're willing to do that, if, you know, if you're will, if we're willing to take out Al Qaeda, you know, if, if then Israel ought to be allowed to take out Hamas. Now, what follows after that, if that is allowed to happen? And I'm not 100 percent sure that the United States will have the patience and the courage to stand with Israel through the trial of the coming weeks. You know, it's fine now. Israel, you know, Israelis are just the victims for the most part right now. Um, Daryl Horn wrote this great book of essays with the title, Everybody Loves Dead Jews. And there's no truer phrase in the world. Everybody loves dead Jews. It's the live ones trying to defend themselves that are often unpopular. But if assuming that Israel is allowed to do that which it has to do, question of what follows next? Well, that's that's a really good question. Now, I would say the answer is a complete defeat of the terrorist organizations should send the message to the Palestinian people that they have to change their ideological orientation. They have to seek a different path, not a different terror organization, but a different path. Now, there are historical precedents for this. After all, you know, in 1945, Germany was a country that had been ruled by an ideology that had, was widely supported. Don't believe it wasn't. And, um, you know, we went in there, my father's generation, and, you know, we bombed the heck out of them. We conquered them. We went in and conquered them at great cost to the civilian population. And we basically remade it. And we said, you know what? You're not going to do Nazism anymore. Mm -hmm. I think we have to send the message to the Palestinian people in Gaza. You're not going to do Islam as terrorism anymore. And if you do, we're just not going to allow it. And, um, you know, people react to what, you know, if they can't do it, we have to hope they will choose a different path, that their political culture will change. If, however, Hamas is taken out and we just, tell the Israelis, pull out and let Hamas rebuild itself, kind of like when Obama pulled out of Iraq and then, you know, then ISIS popped up, um, then we'll have more terrorism. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of simple. If you have, if you're willing to fight this war to its conclusion, it's possible, it's certainly difficult to defeat these terror organizations and to offer the Palestinian people a different path you know, they sh there should be, a, you know, when Israel withdrew from Gaza, there was the hope that it would be an incubator for peace and be a, you know, a, a democratic enclave. You know, it could be Hong Kong. It could be Singapore. Well, you know what? They don't want, you know, Hamas doesn't want Singapore. Right. They want Hamas. They want Hamas to stand. That's Singapore. So we have to remove Hamas and hope that given the alternative, the Palestinians choose something else. But if they don't choose something else, Israel is still going to defend itself because Israel right. isn't going away. Right. You know, they have this crazy belief, this fantasy, this demented <laughs> fantasy that the Jews are going to disappear. Yeah. They're not going to disappear. Yeah, uh, it's a very strong um, people. Uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of times if Israel is given the green light to go ahead. Who gives them that? Is it the United States? And why, why wouldn't they just say, I don't care who gives us the green light. We're going. Well, I think um, Israel would like to say that, but, you know, Israel's deeply involved with the United States. Um, you know, Israel gets all its weapons from the United States. You know, in order to do this, Israel needs U.S.-made bunker buster bombs. The United States insured. I mean, this is like a long historical, 
you know, uh, you know, a, a topic to to take a deep dive into, which we're not going to do today. Israel basically, you know, the United States has ensured that Israel is reliant on on the United States for military resupply. And part of the reason is that partly it's out of generosity. Partly it's so that the United States can, you know, turn and turn off the, the spigot um, for when the ammunition, there are promises made. But right now what's going on behind the scenes, we know that Lincoln is sitting with Israel's war cabinet putting conditions on how um, Israel uses its weapons. Um, we know that Israel had to postpone um, its offensive into Gaza because to, Biden invited to himself the president's to trip. Yeah. You know, it's like Israel, Israel is happy to host an American president anytime and have messages of solidarity. But this is a campaign visit. This is, this is a photo op. Yeah. You know, they, Israel really didn't need an American president in the middle of a war visiting. That was, no. was, was not a necessary distraction from their point of view. They have no choice. And listen, just if I can just parenthetically add, people talk about USAID to, to Israel. Um, Israel gets about $3.8 billion in military aid every year, but almost every cent of it is spent in the United States. It's really an aid package to the American arms industry. So, you know, it's not like it's a gift. And frankly, Ukraine, and we could, that's a whole different subject. Ukraine <laughs> is getting like 50 times that amount right now. So if you think that what Israel gets is a lot and it's, wow, that's so much. Ukraine's getting like 50 times that every year. So um, I don't want to kind of hear about that. Yeah. I Before we finish here, I, 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 I don't want to be an alarmist, but I can't help but feel... Like things are very, very bad in the world. They're very bad. How how close are we to a World War Three with all the hot spots and the bad actors uh, kind of having these, you know, we know that Russia and Xi, or excuse me, uh, you know, Putin and Xi are having meetings. Uh, we know these things are going on. And it's, and we've got a weak president, as you mentioned, a, a president who, does not instill fear in in our enemies. No. What 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 should we expect in the next several months? Well, um, you know, I'm always a short term pessimist, long term optimist. So forgive me. Um, the world is an incredibly dangerous place, and it has gotten in even more dangerous in the last three years. The you know the route in the U.S. route in Afghanistan was a danger sign. It was like a talk about a green light to all kinds of rogue nations to not fear the United States, mm -hmm. to not think that they, there should be any limits on their activities. You know, we're seeing, you know, the, the United States has kind of blundered into this confrontation, you know, which you know, Russia has behaved terribly in Ukraine, but we've kind of blundered close to confrontation with a nuclear power there and nobody seems to be paying much attention. We are locked in a, you know, geostrategic duel with our real rival, China, right. and nobody seems, certainly nobody in Washington that I talk to seems to have any clear answers of what we're going to do about them because, you know, we're so embedded in, they're yeah. so embedded in our economy. And, you yes. know, it's, it's, it's like a Cold War where, you know, we have both hands tied behind our back. Um, and Israel, you know, it's like, it's very hard. I mean, this is, this is, this is not, you know, just, you know, theory and geostrategic big, you know, Henry Kissinger TED Talk stuff. We have lived to see horrible things in our lifetimes. I mean, just dealing with what happened last week in Israel, which is 
like the worst mass slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, terrible crimes. I think a lot of people, I've been talking to people and it's like, it's like we, we've woken up to think that, you know, we thought that our generation had sort of gotten past history, that these terrible things only happened in the history books. And it didn't happen to us. It didn't happen in our time. But they are happening our time. Uh, the great American writer, Ben Hecht, who was a particular hero of mine as a, as a Jewish activist, he wrote in 1938. He was somebody who was completely disconnected from his Jewish heritage and, you know, famous Hollywood screenwriter and Broadway playwright. And he just he started noticing what was happening in Europe at that time. And he said, I accidentally bumped into history. Mm. And I think we're all accidentally bumping into history right now. But, you know, the answer is not to despair. I mean, we can throw up our hands and just, you know, want to hide under the covers and crawl under the couch. I mean, that's the only sane response to a lot of the things we're seeing in the world and certainly what we saw last week in Israel. But we have to have faith. We have to have courage to stand up for what we believe in, for our values, for, for the rights, you know, for freedom here, for freedom in Israel, for freedom everywhere. Um, we don't, America doesn't have to be the policeman of the world, but we have to stand for something. We have to oppose evildoers and support those who are fighting evildoers, certainly when it's a question of terrorism that could happen here, quite frankly, just as easily as it happened there. So my answer is have faith, have courage. You know, our, our faith and courage has sustained us as Americans through great trials in the past. You know, we, we beat the German Empire. We beat the Japanese Empire. We beat, we beat the Nazis. We beat the Soviet Empire. I don't believe um, that Islamism is going to, is, is, can beat us, you know? And I don't believe, just as I don't believe these, this woke lunacy is going to conquer the spirit of America. I believe in this country and our values. I believe in the Ameri in the wisdom of the Amer and the goodness of the American people, um, like I believe in the wisdom and the goodness and the strength of the Israeli people. And I believe we will prevail. We'll, we'll take some help from God, no question. You know, I'm a person of faith, as many of uh, probably who are watching and listening to us are. But we can survive this. We can defeat these terrible people if we stick to what we believe in. We're not intimidated. We, we, we don't give up. You know, most of all, we need the courage to stand up and keep fighting. Jonathan Tobin, I'm going to leave it with that beautiful message right there. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We hope we've delivered a lot of answers to many of your questions. I certainly had many of my questions answered. It isn't all hopeful, but I think what Mr. Tobin left us with is a sense of hope, a sense of faith, a hope that we can repeat history in the best of ways uh, in this terrible, terrible time in the world. So like he said, have the courage, be brave and do good. And we will see you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.